Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Soul Sanctuary is a newly released CD on the Navona Records label featuring spirituals and hymns performed by the Atlanta-based soprano Maria Clark with pianist-composer Maria Thompson-Corley They'll tell us about the importance of these songs as a source of healing. And we'll hear some musical examples from the album later in the hour. Plus, speaking of the arts, our series of local artists in their own words features Atlanta illustrator and designer Broly Sue. First... Atlanta's booming film industry has become a home for both emerging and established actors. The nonprofit organization Atlanta Workshop Players foresaw this growth 40 years ago and opened their doors to educate kids and adults in the industry. On Saturday, August 27th, they're hosting a free industry workshop for those hoping to enter into a film career. Joining me now via Zoom is Lynn Stallings, the executive director of Atlanta Workshop Players. Lynn, welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much, Lois. Thank you for having me on. So please tell us about Atlanta Workshop Players and its overall mission. Well, we've been inspiring artists and training them and encouraging them to use their talents to become socially responsible citizens of the world. The media is super powerful, so why not use it for good? I know you do that, Lois, all the time. You bring culture and creativity into the lives of millions. Thank you. It's really exciting being part of the Atlanta Workshop Players. We do launch careers, and artists, like all people, have the most success when they have clear goals and a sense of purpose. And if goals are important, then people don't give up. It's not over till it's over. Careers have longevity when you're the easiest person on the planet to work with. 
So if each project is a collaboration filled with respect, if it's about relationships and honoring each other, then that's when the magic happens. Does Atlanta Workshop Players, the AWP, put together full-scale productions? Oh, absolutely. We have a big musical theater company that produces multiple shows every year. And we also have a film school with classes and students from age six to 96. And we have a winter and summer performing arts camp. We make movies. We do PSAs, public service announcements. Um, It's a very full, exciting schedule. (laughs) So how do you incorporate the talent of actors in training, as well as prospective theater professionals into these productions? Um, Well, we do hold open auditions for our musical theater company. And so the people that are in the company already have some training and some skills. We also bring in guest artists to teach and also perform with them. So they will very often be performing side by side with people with huge resumes and things. And we bring in Broadway stars to um, teach classes and workshops and um, expose the students to all kinds of techniques. So it's uh, inspiring. (laughs) I saw that Atlanta Workshop Players also uses the acronym AWP to mean art with a purpose. Yes. What philosophy does AWP bring to theater arts education? Well, we see this as an opportunity to not only train performing artists and filmmakers, but also to nurture them as human beings. And then it enhances communities and empowers the students to realize that they can and they do have a huge impact on their world. It's all about teaching life lessons through the arts. And we give artists a voice. Even the kiddos have so much to say. And so it's important to give them a forum to express themselves. And all of these programs are designed to deliver professional level training that's actually fun. So the the philosophy is to use your talents for good in the world. And, and what are some examples? Well, the students do a lot of performing and a lot of volunteering for nonprofit organizations. For quite a few years, we did a, a huge production for to fundraise for the Children's Health Care of Atlanta. And the kids have donated time for Habitat for Humanity and for all different kinds of, of nonprofit organizations. So they're they are out there using their talents for good. You have this big industry workshop coming up, and your website says participants learn how to launch a film or theater career, quote, without losing your mind. (laughs) Yes, that's true. How does the workshop prevent insanity while promoting aspiring young actors? I think it's education more than anything else. Um, The entertainment industry is unlike any other, and discovering how to navigate that can be daunting. So the workshop's designed to identify 
the exact steps it takes to launch your career. Everything from developing your craft to your promotional materials, headshots, resumes, demos, voiceover demos, all of those things. And we talk about networking and how to avoid getting ripped off. Mm. There, I, I know, and that happens a lot. There are some companies that will charge thousands of dollars to put you in front of a group of agents. And typically a more targeted approach is more effective and far less expensive. We also have a panel of actors, including child actors and their parents to share their creative journeys. So the idea is to give people information so that they are not lost and they're not floundering and they won't lose their minds and they'll have a direction and goals. It's all about having a positive approach, knowing what you're doing, extremely practical information and how to put the pressures into perspective, how to protect and take care of yourself physically and emotionally. I really believe that when people understand how this industry works, it's a crazy industry, but how it works, the stress is relieved. For example, people are typically worried about facing rejection after rejection during the audition process, but when they realize that it really isn't personal, that they could be awesome, but didn't fit that part, or there were 10 actors who were awesome and there was only one role. Well, once they realize that most of the time they're not going to get cast, then they can just relax and have fun. And that it's not about getting that particular job. Auditions are about investing in your career. It's about showing that casting director and that director and those producers what you have to offer and they'll remember you. They really do, it's part of their job. And the cool thing is you're actually auditioning for every role that that casting director ever casts in the future. So it's about winning that room. I have a good story about that. A friend of mine um, was a writer producer on a whole bunch of primetime sitcoms in Los Angeles. And each week they would cast the guest starring role for that episode. And they'd see, of course, a lot of really great people and they'd pick their top 10 and then they would put those actors' headshots on the floor across the room, and they'd throw a dart over their shoulder, and whoever's face that dart landed on, that's the person that got the guest starring role that week. <laughs> so, so oh, the point, I know, I know, it's wild. But the point is, the rest of those nine people were equally talented, and they were awesome. They just didn't get the dart that week. Well, it sounds like you are providing counseling as well as education and information here. Well, I think that's pretty important to put it in perspective and to take care of yourself as a human being. You know, the things that are going to get you work are training well and being profoundly prepared and sharing your talents and your best self in the audition room and being easy to work with and being persistent and you'll get work. If you are just tuning in, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes speaking with Lynn Stallings, the Executive Director of the Atlanta Workshop Players. AWP provides on-site educational opportunities as well as networking connections. These might include talent agencies, potential management, even legal representation, I saw. 
Lynn, where have you seen your students end up later in their career? Oh, my goodness. There's so many success stories. It's really quite amazing. Uh, some of the people that are going to be on the panel are those success stories, but our teachers and our students are working in this industry professionally constantly. It's uh, such an amazing market right now. And they're doing series regulars on television shows. They're doing movies, performing on Broadway. We have so many kids doing lots and lots of things. The kids that are coming to the workshop have been on The Walking Dead and Stranger Things and Wonder Years. And actually, we had four kids in one acting class that all got booked on Wonder Years at the same time. And they all got to go and perform together, which was so much fun because they know each other so well and they got to do what they love to do together, which was super fun. I saw on the calendar that there also will be a free parent business of show business workshop with a panel discussion. I think this is a great session to provide parents of kids or teenagers getting into the field because Hollywood is filled with horror stories about child actors being exploited, misguided. What is taught in your business of show business workshop for parents? Well, the most important thing is that you only have one childhood and that needs to be protected at all costs, protected in what they choose to do. If they love performing, then it's just like any other after-school activity or anything like that, that they would do. As soon as they aren't having fun and it becomes drudgery, then that's the time to take a break. And it's okay to take a break. The pressures should not be there. This should be something that is creative and enjoyable for them. So that's the most important thing. And then we talk about how to launch their careers, how to get the attention of casting directors and agents. And we do showcase performances and things like that. We talk about how to do those interviews. And I always recommend agencies that I know the people and I know that they care about the human being above caring about how much money they're going to make from that child. And so those things, that philosophy is the most important part of it. Lynn, how do the classes you offer and the workshops give emerging actors a foundation for what to expect in the professional entertainment industry? Well, they, they have a foundation of acting technique and all of that, absolutely, every single week. And we put them on tape. They do playback and feedback on those. We bring in guest artists all the time. We give them performance opportunities in all of our on-camera classes. We're constantly doing on-set experiences, so it's very practical. Um, we have one class called Extreme Acting, and it's based on the fact 
fact that all movies, all television shows, all plays are about the character's best day or worst day of their lives. And so we work on the extremes, the extremes of emotion, the extremes of conditions, like we'll do a simulated film set and it will be set in a middle of a tornado and we'll have the wind machines and the rain machines and all the debris is flying in and everybody has to remember their lines hit their marks connect with their scene partners in the middle of all of this craziness going on around them which is what would happen when they're on an actual set. We've done river rescues, we've done in the river. And when we do these things, we make sure that it's extremely safe. When we do the river rescues, they're in two feet of water and we have lifeguards there too. And so it's everything that we do is very safe, but it gives them the experience that they would have on an actual set. So they're not caught off guard when they get hired. And so those practical experiences are super important. In the intro, I mentioned that your organization goes back 40 years. How have you seen AWP evolve since you've been there? Oh, my goodness. It's grown so much. We started the company because... We had some acting classes and there were so many talented kids, but not a lot of professional level outlets for their talents. And so we decided rather than worry about it, we would just do something about it. And we started a a professional touring company and for many, many decades toured thousands of schools all over doing socially responsible uh, character education kinds of musicals that were all originals. And then we started realizing that more and more people could be reached with these messages through television and film. So we started shifting toward that. And the students now have brainstorming sessions and they talk about the things that are important in their lives, things that really matter. And and I ask them, what do you want to tell the world? You have an audience, you're a performer, so you've got an audience. What do you want to say to them? And so they, they figure out um, whether it's bullying or talking about suicide prevention or talking about the environment, whatever it is that really matters to them. Then they sit down and they write a script and they create PSAs and we go on set and we film them. We let them guide what matters and how they're going to present it to the public. So we have seen that wonderful shift. And then another cool thing about having been in existence for 40 something years is that all of these AW peeps come back. All of the ones that were here 40 years ago, we had two house parents at camp this summer that started with us 40 years ago. And they're still here because they believe in the work, they believe in the message, they feel an extended family. Um, We have AW peeps who are casting directors and producers and actors um, and all kinds of things. And when we take groups of students to New York or L.A., um, we all get together and everybody sits in the room and they inspire each other. And all of the the alumni end up giving each other work, which is really fun to watch happen. 
So it's an extended family that spans generations. Lynn Stallings, your work is very impressive, and I thank you so much for talking with me about the Atlanta Workshop Players. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Lynn Stallings, the executive director of the Atlanta Workshop Players. Their free industry workshop event takes place Saturday, August 27th at the Brandon Hall School in Sandy Springs. You can find out more on our website at wabe.org slash citylights. In a moment, we'll hear from soprano Maria Clark with composer-pianist Maria Thompson Corley discussing their recently released album, Soul Sanctuary. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Great to have you along. Empowering spirituals such as this are on the newly released album Soul Sanctuary. The arranger and pianist is Maria Thompson Corley. She joins me now via Zoom with soprano and Spelman College educator Maria Clark. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much. Thank you. Curious about how you two met and when you decided to create this album together. I met Maria Thompson Corley when I was a fresh and green behind the ears freshman at Florida State University. She was on faculty, which I did not realize at the time, at AM University. And she also was married to Chris Corley at that time. And he was a grad student, a vocal student, wonderful baritone at Florida State. And so she would come over to play for him a lot. And then she ended up collaborating, being a collaborative pianist as well at Florida State. And I got the, the opportunity to work with her. 
And I was just elated to work with her because I was so impressed by her virtuosic uh, piano skills. And she worked with me uh, with coachings and she also helped me with piano a bit. And she would organize uh, concerts of African-American composers works at Florida State. And I was, I just felt like I was on cloud nine that Maria Thompson Corley asked me to sing on these concerts. I was very kind of enamored with her when I met her at Florida State. And from there, we lost touch. I transferred from, uh, from Florida State to Manhattan School of Music in my, after my second year. And then we kind of caught up later uh, via Facebook. And um, when I became aware of her again, she was performing like with orchestras and I happened to see a video of her and a former Florida A&M student, um, Benjamin Polite, performing some selections from Porgy and Bess. And I was just so impressed with the beauty of her sound and, you know, just everything about, about the way that she performed. So um, the spirituals thing, though, came from, well, my first spiritual arrangement was for my now ex-husband, Christopher Corley, for his master's recital at Juilliard, and that is Steal Away. He had heard a choral arrangement that I had done just for fun, and he asked me to, to create two things for his master's recital. And so this piece was something that he also sang um, at Florida State. And so Maria um, Clark then came up with the idea of doing some of my art songs or spirituals for um, the National Association of Negro Musicians Convention or some similar thing. And this was pandemic times, like, or before pandemic times. And so, you know, things just didn't really materialize because, of course, everything was being canceled. And she had mentioned the idea of um, performing them. And she actually did start performing some of them with Trey Clegg, her accompanist, who has been her accompanist for years in Atlanta. So like the idea of making a recording was kind of tossed around. And so since I had more time than usual, although I was filling it up with a lot of other things, but you know, like my schedule was different than it usually had been. And so still pandemic. And I was like, Hey, are you serious about doing this? Like, do you want to do this? Or, and so she was game. And so I flew down to Atlanta where I have two sisters and uh, brought my son along, which was a nice little trip for him. This was in this past summer. So things weren't quite as highly contagious or however you want to put that as um, they had been before there were vaccines, et cetera. And so we did it and it was just an, a wonderful um, musical collaborative experience. Um, she got Ismail Akbar, the cellist on board and yeah, it was just it was just an amazing situation. You know, I just had seen it coming even a, a year or so ago. Well, this question is for both of you. Historically, what was the function of these spirituals? They were a coping mechanism for our people and the the adversity that they were going through the oppression, and they were born out of slavery and post-slavery times. And I know that I still use them today as a coping mechanism. I don't know what I'd do without them. And I grew up listening to my mom, my aunts, my grandmother use them as a coping mechanism. And for me, um, in addition to that, I mean, I actually was raised in Canada of um, Jamaican ancestry. 
So obviously um, being enslaved is also part of the Jamaican black uh, experience. But my parents who met at uh, Montreal's McGill University, my mom is from Bermuda, sang um, spirituals, these, some of these same tunes in a choral society that was formed there. And so we had recordings of Roland Hayes and we had Paul Robeson and um, you know others. I mean, Mahalia Jackson also sang some spirituals that I grew up listening to as well. But I also wanted to mention the coded language that sometimes is included. For example, in Steal Away, Deep River, you know, you can all see it as a coping mechanism. You can see it as talking about going to heaven, uh, or you can see it as talking about going across um, the border to Canada, where, you know, people could really be, I mean, no utopia, but, you know, certainly uh, it was a better situation if they could get there. So, yeah, that's another aspect of it. So how did you decide which spirituals to include in this CD? Well, these are all the arrangements that I had at that point. Even though I have really suddenly become a composer in the sense that people pay me to do it, I really thought of myself primarily as a pianist until very recently. I mean, the arranging thing was something that I would do for fun. And as I said, those first things that I was asked to do, and then a couple people asked me to do some other things. Yeah, this was kind of all the spirituals arrangements that I had ever done that <laughs> could be for solo voice. There were three things that were thrown in that were born of improvisation. I mean, Maria wanted to include some things that were more, I guess, gospel hymn oriented. So we improvised those like on the spot, basically for the recording. And then um, she wanted me to do something for solo piano. So I did my version of Hold On, like sort of recorded it in my living room because I, I, I don't know, somehow I, I feel a little bit more intimidated, I guess, if something's a little more up-tempo, but I felt like we needed something more up-tempo and I wanted it to be something that was kind of jazzy. then recreated something that I had come up with off the top of my head. But yeah, that's that's why <laughs> those particular pieces are there. Well, speaking of up-tempo, may I tell you some of my favorites here? Sure. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Mm. And this is a, a song I especially love in a version with Dr. John, if you could believe it, oh. and 
Mavis Staples. Oh, wow. Are you familiar mm. with that? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I know this. I know. I know Mavis Staples. I know them, but I don't know that version. But yeah, it's very familiar with Mavis Staples and also Dr. John. But I, I will have to look that up. Well, you get on some happy feeling yourself there. I mean, this is celebratory. Would you take us through your version? Well, actually, it was one of the ones that my ex-husband asked me to arrange for his graduate recital. But I found it, you know, years later, and I decided that I wanted to um, update it a bit. So I added um, the opening and the interlude, which is, I'm going to lay down this heavy load. By and by, I'm going to lay down this heavy load. you look at something that you did years and years ago and sometimes you think that maybe you could edit it or and improve it so yeah that was purely it and it was my fake gospel piano aspirations put on paper <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't sound fake at all, Maria. <laughs> well I didn't grow up playing gospel piano you know I grew up as I say um you know studying classical piano and I listened to all kinds of music I was I thought it was really cool that you have such an eclectic musical taste because I'm totally there with you. Like I was never just fully grounded in the idea that classical music is the best music, so to speak, or the ivory tower of music. I think any music that communicates emotion, human emotion is is fine with me. So um, I don't know that I could ever be a gospel pianist who felt secure in doing the up-tempo things, as I mentioned. But when I wrote it down, then I could do it and have a lot of fun with it. So uh, well, the fun comes through. Another favorite is Wade in the Water. And Maria Clark, you sing this beautifully on the album. Oh, now, thank you. Yes, your version is very different from the Alvin Ailey recording I've come to know and love, which is heard when... Ailey performs revelations at every one of their dance performances. But your version is very different, not least because that is sung by a man with a very deep voice. Mm -hmm. Maria Thompson Corley, would you tell us about your arrangement here where you had cello to the piano and voice? Yes. So the three with cello came from Deep River, which my daughter, who is more of a pop singer or a soul singer, on her senior recital in undergrad, she asked me if I would arrange something for her and she wanted Deep River. And there was supposed to be a cellist um, involved who was her, her teacher's partner, but then he... He backed out. So in the end, I had this arrangement with cello and I have a friend who I play duos with. And then once that was, you know, I liked the way that it turned out. I mean, I thought Deep River is really a hard thing to arrange with that iconic arrangement. 
But then, you know, I'm, I started morphing into the thought that, okay, maybe people do like to perform my music. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll put two others because people might, if they're going to get a cellist, want something else to the cellist to do. So that was why there's a cello. And I, I wanted it to seem sort of furtive and a little bit nervous, but I also kind of liked the idea of having a, a groove, you know, like I liked the having, you know, that ostinato groove going with the cello. Excuse no, me, would you explain the term ostinato? Oh, right. So an ostinato is a repeated pattern, basically, a repeated musical gesture. And I think it usually is associated with, you know, a rhythmic gesture, but it could be something very simple. Like if anybody knows Dido's Lament, you know, there are a number of forms from way back there in in music of African people. You know, ostinato is just very constantly something it, you know, brings the spirit down, as we say, you know, you this repeated rhythmic and, and musical gesture then in a bass line and with drums that you would find in, in worship services. So that's kind of what I was trying to get. And, you know, that just building something that was, to me, it's sort of fun, but it's also um, hopefully a little bit conveys the anxiety that one would have wading in the water. And, you know, they're the two different ways of looking at it. One is that you, why do you go into the water if you're trying to escape dogs? That's why you go in the water, you know? And so I see um, different meanings involved. Very effective. I associate No Hiding Place with the poet Maya Angelou, and you have a rousing rendition here. Would you take us through that? That was written for Benjamin Polite, who um, I mentioned earlier. He asked me, and I had never heard it because, you know, everybody wasn't streaming everything back when I wrote it originally. I sort of give illusion a little bit to something I was trying to anyway a little bit calypso-ish because it's not feeling hot 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 but you know I was thinking of that that song uh that calypso song feeling hot 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 and you know the idea of of um you can't hide from basically the devil <laughs> and so that idea of evoking the fires of hell a little bit with a little bit of calypso sound I love that description, <laughs> by the way. And then I included a little bit of the Dies Irae in that one moment, you know, where he says he wanted to go to heaven, but he had to go to hell. And we got a little Dies Irae going on.
68 you yeah. know, is the day of judgment right. part of the Mass. Right, yes. If you are just tuning in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitz, speaking with composer and pianist Maria Thompson Corley and soprano Maria Clark. Maria Clark, would you tell us about your personal connections to these spirituals and hymns? Yes. You know, people often ask me which spiritual on the CD that I feel most connected to. And mine is, I want Jesus to walk with me. because I've gone through some very trying times in my life and particularly lately also I recently had to go into the hospital with my son and and he had brain surgery oh my goodness I hope he's and yes he is thank you so much he's he's back up the grace of God bouncing around and bobbing around and going to school and getting in trouble again (laughs) (laughs) so he's back to normal (laughs) but in the hospital he was getting ready to go into surgery and I I thought oh my gosh I'm about to lose it (laughs) the only thing that I could think to do to calm myself down really was to take my phone out and and play that I want Jesus to walk with me. When I listened to that, it just calmed, it it immediately calmed my spirit. And I just knew everything was going to be okay. And that's what I get with this spiritual. Because a lot of times as we walk through life, we're, we're, we're facing all kinds of spiritual attacks anyway. And if you're a believer, you know, in, in Christ and Christian, I, you know, I never claim to be a perfect Christian, but I definitely am a believer. So I, I kind of call upon that to, to get me through things. And, you know, these spirituals really did help me to deal with that. And another one of them is the steal away. It just, Maria's arrangement is just sounds so ethereal to me. I just feel better and and my spirit feels uplifted when I listen to them. And then I think of our history as a people, you know, when I hear something like the steal away and yeah, this is, those are a few of the ones and the, you know, for instance, the, the improv interlude that we did, Lord, I'll go. I grew up in church. That's just a, a, a short snippet of listening to the elders in, in my small church in, in the countryside in Georgia, how they would mix pouring out their souls and their hearts with praying, and they would mix it with singing. And this is one of the ones that they would just all of a sudden go into from out of nowhere when we were in the middle of, you know, just worshiping God. And 
I, I just wanted to call upon something from my childhood. And that was the reason that I, I chose that one. And uh, Maria just kind of went with me on the piano part for the improv. And, and she did a wonderful job of kind of capturing the spirit of that. What you're saying attests to the enduring power of these spirituals. They may go back 200 plus years, but they resonate profoundly today. And although these songs are Christian worship songs, would you talk about how they are relatable to people of different religious backgrounds? I mean, I think on just removing them, which, you know, you can't really remove them from the words, but I think even if you didn't understand the words, they're some of the most beautiful melodies ever. I mean, like, can you think of a more perfectly constructed art song uh, melody than Deep River, for example? Yeah, they're just beautifully constructed and, and you know, these soaring beautiful melodies are, that appeal to just the gamut of human emotion. You're talking about the um, celebratory nature of glory, glory, hallelujah. I mean, you know, even if you weren't thinking of glory, glory, hallelujah to God. I mean, I think everybody has had the experience of feeling like something has been lifted off their shoulders, or I would hope that they have, or at least they can aspire to the day when they wouldn't feel that they had were burdened down. So there is obviously a deep current of, of worship involved, but I think you could just listen for the beauty and the common sharing of deep emotion, whether it's lament or longing, or and I think whatever you believe, everybody has wanted to feel like they weren't alone. Or, you know, honestly, I think you could just listen to Maria Clark's voice all day long, and that's all you need, you know, whatever yeah. she was singing, just listen to her voice and call it a yeah. day. <laughs> Talk about ethereal. You've got it, Maria. <laughs> oh, thank I, you so much. Oh, you do. I love the title, Soul Sanctuary. I mean, sanctuary implies the great gathering hall of the church. And yet, this also speaks to the fact that these songs are a sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. Did you come up with the title together? We did, we did. There uh, you're laughing, so I'll, I'll let you go first. <laughs> yeah, it, it brings about a giggle for me because we went back and forth. I did about three or four titles that I had that came to me. And then Maria did about three or four titles that came to her. And then we compared and contrasted. Then we got our own separate focus groups and kind of you know, I called my parents and my friends and said, what do you think about this title? What do you think about this? And Maria did the same. And then we eventually came together because she, I think Maria, did you and your sister come up with Sanctuary? I think so. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the older I get, the less certain things stick in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think Maria came, came from her end. She came up with Sanctuary. And I, while I liked Sanctuary, I thought it needed something else. And I said, well, can we put soul in front of it? 
because it's a sanctuary. These spirituals are meant to be a sanctuary for your soul and for your spirit. And Mar I think Maria Thompson Corley said, yeah, that's it. I like that. Yeah, and, and we both agreed. Okay. Yeah. And um, as it turns out, well, Maria Clark is, I guess maybe beats me t a little bit as being a Prince fan because she mentioned, <laughs> which is saying a fair amount, but um, so she, she said that I guess Prince has a recording called Soul Sanctuary too as well I mean so since we both had a little bit of that in our background that, I mean that wasn't the primary focus of that title but you know there's that too <laughs> no no problem with the copyright there no titles can't be uh, you can use the same title for all kinds of things actually Interesting. that's why you have different songs with the same title all the time my conversation from earlier this year with composer-pianist Maria Thompson-Corley and soprano Maria Clark. Their CD, Soul Sanctuary, is out on the Navona Records label, and the album is also available to stream on Apple Music and Spotify. More information is on our website, wabe.org. Coming up in a moment, we'll hear from Atlanta illustrator and designer Broly Sue as part of our Speaking of the Arts series. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1 WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of the Arts, where we hear some of Atlanta's creative artists in their own words. Hi there, my name is Broly Sue. My actual name is Zilong, but I like to go by Broly. I am a visual artist, illustrator, and designer originated from China, working both Traditionally and digitally, I incorporate a lot of street culture elements that I grew up with in my artwork, including hip-hop culture, sneaker culture, tattoos, and toys. But with traditional media, I like to work with acrylic and pen and ink to create more details using stippling sometimes. Also, with my most recent work, I experiment with more symbols to create narrative aspect for my work. I like to just more make my imagery, you know, storytelling that I also believe is the power of illustration. So back when I first started it, uh, at the age of three, I was just, you know, doodling at the time. My parents would send me to, you know, those training sections in China um, that I would just do it, you know, as a fun thing. But then I never stopped drawing until this day. I found it interesting that when I had to make a decision on, you know, what I wanted to do for the future, that I'm willing to put 10,000 hours to make this thing right. Because I know it's hard to, to even keep one thing straight up in your life. So for me, the idea of creating art is always interesting because I feel like artwork have the power to contain your message and ideas as if you sealed at the time, like how your brain and, you know, your attitude on paper and that is permanent, like you can have that forever. And you know, some people see it, they might feel your energy.
and I feel like that's my purpose. As far as motivation, I feel like my life motivates me. The music that I listen to motivates me. It's a lot of the things uh, I have seen, experienced, uh, you know, traveling to different places. Uh, they all form part of who I am. And I feel like a lot of my work is a summary for my life lessons and reality that I have to face uh, as an artist. And I try to put that emotion on paper and just keep it there. So I'll never forget, you know, where I'm coming from and that's the mindset when I was creating work. So another thing is that a lot of the artists that I follow, including Gamebox, Han Sol, and uh, Stephen Harrington, all these artists, they all have, you know, their ways of expanding, you know, not just creating work on paper, but then also take the work to different mediums and platforms um, that I thought would be uh, another great way for your work to continue to develop is, you know, trying different things. Coming to Atlanta, I feel like Atlanta is definitely the city that has mad love for street culture. So I feel like living here is definitely beneficial and I get to meet a lot of talented and like-minded artists. They're very genuine and friendly. I say it's a great community to be part of. When it comes to events, uh, I like to go to Cat Eye Creative, um, ABV Gallery, I go all the time. I like Free Market Gallery as well, High Museum. There are all different places that you could check out new arts. So I feel like it's such a great city to be in. I have work at ABV Gallery from Outer Space Project that you can check out at the gallery. Um, you can also you know, check out my website, it's brolisu.com, or you, know, you can reach out my Instagram, a Rolly Sue, it's B, but it's uh, number eight, so it's A Rolly Sue. Uh, I have a lot of new projects coming soon. This September 28th, uh, I'll be doing Drink and Doodle at the ABV Gallery, so I'm excited to see everyone there, uh, and I can't wait to share my new work to everyone. Atlanta illustrator and designer Broly Sue. You can find more information about his work and our series on our website, wabe.org slash speaking of the arts. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., Israeli-American violinist Itamar Zorman discusses his album Violin Odyssey, works of lesser-known repertoire from around the world. City Light's senior producer is Kim Droves. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. 
you can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.